Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests. And I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy. And that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Oh, money. We love it and we hate it. If we don't have enough, we're struggling to get more. And when we do have it, we're very often fighting to hold on to it. My guest today is Nancy Levin, and she teaches that the real key to creating financial freedom isn't changing what we do, it's changing how we feel. Are you ready to meet her? Nancy Levin is the best-selling author of Worthy, Jump and Your Life Will Appear, and Writing for My Life. She is a master integrative life coach and the creator of the Jump Coaching and Worthy Coaching programs. She works with clients privately and in groups to live in alignment with their own truth and desires. Nancy's the host of Jump Start Your Life on Hay House Radio, and you can visit her online at nancylevin.com. Nancy, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you so much for having me here again, Karen. Oh, yes. I'm glad to talk to you again. And this book, your new book, Worthy, Mm -hmm. is a wonderful read. It is practical. It is heartfelt. And it's also a little bit challenging. So I felt better when you you said at the beginning that you've, you've kind of walked through a fair amount of dysfunction around money and you came out okay. Can you share some of that journey with us so that we feel better about ourselves? (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, for me, the real catalyst for writing this book was a specific event that occurred while I was moving through my divorce. I was in my divorce mediation and my lawyer and I were in one room and my now ex-husband and his lawyer were in another room and the mediator was going back and forth. And prior to mediation, my lawyer and I had the agreement that our stance was no maintenance, no maintenance payments. And, you know, that my, that my husband at the time was, you know, able-bodied and young and healthy and talented. He just was someone who chose not to work for the 18 years of our marriage. And I enabled him not to work. So once we were in the mediation, the mediator actually came in and said to us that he wanted an exorbitant sum of money a month over a period of seven years. Wow. And here's the thing. My lawyer started negotiating to a lower agreement. And I, because I didn't know what to do, I didn't do anything. Mm. And 
that was really for me the moment where I realized that, I mean, I can tell you right now that this me, who I am today, <laughs> would have said to my lawyer, hang on, hold up, we need to re-strategize, we need to have a new plan together, and we, you know, we're not able, you know, we're not able to move forward here, <laughs> Um, and you're fired, probably something of that, <laughs> something of that arrangement. <laughs> but because I didn't know what to do, and because I didn't know how to take a stand for my own self worth, let alone my net worth, I didn't do anything. And I ended up having to agree to a settlement that included, among many other things, giving him property, paying his mortgage for several years, covering his debts. And I pretty much disassociated from the rest of the proceedings and found myself just agreeing to what now I can name as a real violation to myself. And yet, the experience was one of those sort of catch 22s that we need to experience. You know, I, I couldn't have known, I couldn't have possibly come to know what I know now had I not gone through that experience. There, when we make sort of mistakes around money or when something like that happens where every time you're writing the check to him, it could bring up, you could hold that energy in a way that just, kicked you in the stomach every time you wrote that mm -hmm. check mm -hmm. and so often I think we carry maybe shame or um, yes. anger at ourselves I know I've done some maybe not so wise things with money and and we kick ourselves and we're angry how were you able to turn this around so that you weren't eaten alive by that it was it was a true process for me that a, that enabled me to get to the place where I was no longer harboring that experience of shame. And it was that I was writing a check every month. And then it was, it was ironic. It was about, I had about maybe eight months left of payments and I, and I, my sister was the one who said to me, why don't you just see if you can pay the whole, the whole rest of it off? in one payment, see if there's any penalty in paying the rest of that off. And I, the, those payments were actually mortgage payments. And I called the mortgage company and they, and I, I ended up telling the woman on the phone, my whole story. <laughs> and she said, you know, there actually is generally a fee associated with paying it all off, but I'm waiving that for you <laughs> because I want, because I want you to be free from this experience, oh my gosh. which was so awesome, you know, because on so many levels, it was the thing of, you know, we, there's, there's so many ways in which we take what we get and we don't ask for anything more. And this is actually a big message of the whole book worthy and of my worthy coaching, it's really an invitation to open ourselves up to the capacity of being able to receive more than we've ever allowed ourselves to imagine is possible. We are the ones who put the limits on. We are the ones who put the ceiling on. 
we're the ones who actually create what we're capable of having or not having. We think that there's this zero-sum game going on, that if someone else has, we go without, or if we have, someone else goes without. And for so many of us, especially women, we are used to just accepting what is, accepting scraps and crumbs instead of really going for the big juicy steak or piece of tofu. (laughs) How is this book, how is Worthy different from other financial books? Because like probably many people who have made not great decisions, I've read financial books and I've read spiritual books about money. Worthy is different. And I'd love for you to tell tell people how it's different. Yeah. So the real difference is that I'm not, I'm not teaching you in this book about how to invest or how to be in the stock market or, you know, mutual funds and, you know, all those ins and outs. What I'm really proposing here is something underneath all of that, that what is at the heart of our relationship to money and isn't about what we do with it. It's how we feel about it. And those feelings that we have about money get instilled in us and, in, and imprinted in us at such a young age that we're not even conscious about where our own beliefs about money originated. But they certainly were loaded in at a young age, we were watching our family or caregivers or teachers or whoever had influence in our lives. We were listening and watching and learning about what money meant from them. And then we began drawing our own conclusions. And the conclusions that we drew about money and the beliefs that we hold about money end up driving the bus and begin to inform what we can have and what we can't have because again it's self-determined when you the so the subtitle of this book is boost your self-worth and grow your net worth what do you mean what does net worth mean so when i talk about net worth i'm really talking about the full richness and juiciness of life so i'm not I'm not only talking about our bank accounts and what we're, what we're worth financially. I'm not just talking about a stock portfolio or assets. I'm actually talking about the degree of richness, juiciness, fulfillment that we have in all areas of our life. So do we feel rich in our relationships? Do we have a wealth of activities that we enjoy? Do we have a wealth of options and opportunities that we can partake in. So it's really about a feeling of wholeness. So it's not just about having more money. It's about having the freedom to create the life that has us feel most liberated and fulfilled. Hmm. One of the things I like about this book is that it you, you share a lot of stories from mm-hmm. your clients. And I'm wondering if you can share with the listeners. I bet a lot of people are nodding their heads as they listen to you. Yes, I want more. Yes, I'd like to know the way out. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can mm-hmm. share a story that kind of shows how 
self-worth and net worth can get all tangled up kind of like a great big knot. And sometimes I think we don't know what thread to pull to start to unravel that. Yes. You know, and what, what so many of my clients experience is that, you know, this is all about money and not at all about money. Mm -hmm. And one client in particular comes to mind and I write about her in the introduction of the book. And when she came to me, she, in, in our first conversation, she let me know that her husband, her husband died six years prior. They were in their, they were in their uh, late twenties. He died. He was very sick and he died. He left her a, pretty considerable sum of money and she had given that sum of money to a financial advisor. She just, she, she felt she wasn't worthy of the money because she didn't earn it. And she just wanted it sort of like out of her way. So that was her way of sort of getting rid of it. So to speak, she gave it to the financial advisor to, and she washed her hands of it and told him to, to deal with it. And she also let me know that she had been bulimic, binging and purging for, at that point, I think it was around 15 years, daily, binging and purging. She'd been in and out of two outpatient clinics. And she let me know, in no uncertain terms, she absolutely did not want to deal with her bulimia in our sessions. She wanted to be free of the bulimia, but that is not what she was coming to coaching about. She was coming to me specifically around this piece of not feeling worthy of the money that was left to her and how to work, how to work with that. So through our time together and through certain exercises and actions that she began to take, she was able to ultimately stand in her own power with the financial advisor because what had been happening is there was all this money at her disposal, but she'd been living on credit cards and maxing them out and getting late fees and, you know, then having to scramble and pay those. And we finally got her to the place, her to the place where she would let the financial advisor know how much money she needed deposited into her account each month to cover her expenses. And this was a huge step for her because she really had a lot of, she had a lot of baggage around this. She thought that the financial advisor would sort of be like dad telling her, you know, what she could have or what she couldn't have, even though this was her money. And quite frankly, she, she was the one empowered to take care of it. She just wasn't owning her power around it. So she was actually giving her power away to him. She wanted to move she, there were things that she wanted to do and explore that would obviously cost money and the money was there and she had to actually move herself into the place of being able to name her right to it and then claim what was rightfully hers. Throughout this process of her being able to stand in her power with the financial advisor and then take an actual interest in what he was doing with the money instead of her just giving it to him and washing her hands of it and not paying attention to it anymore. She was, you know, taking her head out of the sand. This is really the first step in worthy, which is 
about taking off the blinders. So she was actually willing to start looking at what was going on with the money. She let me know that in the process of this, unbeknownst to her until it was happening, she stopped binging and purging. And has not binged or purged. She's still a client of mine and has not binged and purged since then. So to me, this is a beautiful illustration of how net worth and self-worth get entangled. We don't realize the way in which giving away our power goes across the board and that especially with eating disorders and with addictions, there are elements of feeling out of control and trying to control. And so we're always wanting to look at what we don't want to feel or deal with and what is our drug of choice for avoidance. So it can be binging and purging. It can be exercise addiction, alcohol, food, shopping, work. You know, we TV, we all have a drug of choice that we turn to that helps us keep our head in the sand. So how do we start to you're this it so beautifully shows to me the the way that everything in our life is connected. I often say when I'm working with people that this is there's really one big question, right? And so when we start to shift the energy around some of the things that are causing us pain or some of the things we've been putting off, a lot of other stuff begins to shift with it because it's all one big massive stuff. When we mm-hmm. are ready to start to look at this, to start to take off the blinders, and this is scary because we haven't been looking, there's a reason we haven't been looking. What are some ways that we can begin gently and with compassion to look at what's really going on with our money? Yeah, and this is, you know, this is what's, this is what's so important is to take it really slow. So, you know, my previous book, Jump in Your Life Will Appear, the subtitle is An Inch-by-Inch Guide to Making a Major Change. And I am all about the inch-by-inch because that's how change happens. Too many of us see the whole situation laid out in front of us and we see the whole landscape and we just want to take the broad jump. And then we get frustrated or overwhelmed when doesn't happen instantly and then we actually you know we throw in the towel and we stay in that place of feeling stuck so the first piece is to actually acknowledge in the process that we're going to go slowly and that we're going to go on an archaeological dig the first half of of the whole book of worthy and the way that i structure my worthy coaching the first you know the first half of it is really self-inquiry, letting us learn more about ourselves, letting us be witness and observant of the ways in which we operate. What is it that we are hiding in order to be loved and accepted? The truth-telling piece has to come first, and we have to really learn how to be open and honest with ourselves first and foremost, which is still a pretty scary proposition for so many. And so the way it shows up in Worthy is we want to first begin with what's on the surface around looking at, you know, 
do I open my, you know, do I open my bills or am I shoving them all in a drawer? Do I know my credit card balances? Do I know my bank balance? Do I know what my interest rate is on the credit cards? Do I know what, what my expenses look like? Starting to at first get open and honest with ourselves about what's coming in and what's coming out. And what am I actually willing to look at that I've been avoiding? And then what we start to see is, like I was saying before, it's all about money and it's not about money at all, is that we start seeing the parallels of how this translates into other areas of our lives because money then becomes the metaphor. Money becomes the metaphor for power or control specifically. And then we start seeing the way the cost of not of the cost of keeping our head in the sand and when I say cost again money and what's the cost metaphorically what's the cost of time what's the cost of energy and it and that leads just those questions I the listeners know I love books that you can write in you know and that you can there's like <laughs> yeah. charts and things to like oh I love it yeah. but so one of the some of the action in in the book is do I know where these papers are do I know what's in these papers do I know the balances and then you kind of lead us I think rather gently and beautifully into that self-examination and one of the questions that I like the best is who holds the purse strings yeah. and by the way it's <laughs> never a person that's right, right. Never somebody else. That's right. That's right. It's usually, it's an old belief, an old patterning, you know, and so even if, you know, when, even when I'm working with clients who are, you know, who are independent and, or, you know, who, who are single and who are the only ones dealing with their money, we even can go in and start finding the ways in which someone else, something else, is actually controlling them. They've given their power away to someone or something else. And like and like you were alluding to, it's it's generally not a person. It's some other set of beliefs or it's an old sort of commitment that we've made. And you know, in my marriage, you know, I was the breadwinner. I what well, I paid all the bills, I bought everything. I thought I was in charge of the purse strings the whole time. And I wasn't even at all in charge of the purse strings. I was not holding my own purse strings because the fact of the matter is that because of the dynamic in our marriage, whereby my now ex-husband was abusive and rageful, I bought things in order to pacify him. So I found myself, that was my way of buying love and safety. Mm. So he was really controlling the purse strings because I was at that point, the puppet just doing whatever needed to be done. I wasn't in a grounded place of being able to make my own choices. And part of the arc of, of the book is to lead us from that place of starting looking at where we are and leading us then into the places where we can begin to make the choices, make the same kind of empowered choices that you made when you called the bank and said, is there a penalty if I pay this off? Sometimes that smallest action in mm -hmm. truth, that smallest yes. brave action, just, whoa, everything starts to shift when we do yes. that. Yes. And, and so many of us, 
you know, fear asking for help, fear revealing that we may not know something. So we actually get ourselves into a situation where we are actually losing out on what is available to us. And I write about this in the book, my, yeah. this whole story of when I was working at Hay House still, and I worked there for 12 years and had a very nice salary and was offered a 401k plan that I never took advantage of because I didn't understand it when I first got the job. And I didn't want to let anyone know I didn't understand it. Uh-huh. And I didn't ask anyone for help. So what did I do? I, in my 12 years there, I never had a 401k that they would have added money into, free money. Oh, my gosh. Now, we're we're heading into the break. When we come back, this is It's Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. This is Nancy Levin, you guys. She wrote the new book, Worthy, Boost Your Self-Worth and Grow Your Net Worth. NancyLevin.com is where you can connect with her. When we come back, I want to ask Nancy more about how beliefs are magnetic, how they draw toward mm-hmm. us the people and the circumstances that conser- confirm what we believe and how we can begin to turn that around. We'll be right back with Nancy. Nancy, after this. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, mentor a kid who needs someone on their side, volunteer to read to children, make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. Path to success or failure starts long before graduation day, and the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor, give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, gray, gray, black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Peekaboo! Peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. 
Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm in conversation with Nancy Levin. Her new book is Worthy, Boost Your Self-Worth and Grow Your Net Worth. You can find out more about Nancy and her work at nancylevin.com. And of course, I invite you to share your comments, your feedback, your questions about the show. Has listening to this interview so far with Nancy brought up any little feelings, any little intuition about how you might have some blinders on around your money picture? Is this making you think a little bit about who or what is holding the purse strings in your relationship with abundance, whether it is abundance with finance or abundance in love or life or joy or self-care? You can always reach me via email. I'm Karen at KarenHager.com. And of course, KarenHager.com is my website. There's all kinds of good stuff there. Just go and click on everything over there. Now, Nancy, as we were going into the break, you were talking about how that limiting belief that you had about money, that idea that maybe you didn't understand something, so you weren't going to take advantage of it, kind of cost Mm -hmm. you a lot of money with that 12 years at Hey House, the 401k that just kind of sat there. What are some other examples of our limiting beliefs around money and how in the heck can we let's not have those anymore, shall we? <laughs> let's not. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it really what it starts coming down to is when we when we believe that we're not enough or that we're not good enough, we also begin to believe that we'll never have enough. And this these sorts of beliefs begin in childhood when we're likely under the age of 10. These are when our shadow beliefs, our limiting beliefs are formed. And this is when we start to draw conclusions about ourselves and others and the world. Because what's happening is that, you know, events occur and we're too young to process and digest what's going on. So we, we internalize things and make them mean something about us. And we generally make them mean something negative about us. And so those negative beliefs become the seeds for these, for what drives the bus of our lives, essentially. And so these beliefs sound like, and we all have them, and we all have many of them. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not lovable. There's something wrong with me. And at the root of these beliefs, I believe, is the fundamental belief, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of attention. I'm not worthy of time. I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of freedom. I'm not worthy of joy. Whatever it looks like, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving of. 
So then what happens is we go into this overdrive mode around earning and proving our worth. And it's a very dangerous, precarious proposition to put our worthiness in the hands of someone else, to think that something outside of us is going to be the governing body of our own worth. But this is what we do as we grow up with these limiting beliefs. We go out into the world. Our beliefs are magnetic. They draw toward us the people, the relationships, the circumstances that reinforce what we believe about ourselves. We have it backwards. We think that if someone outside of us tells us something good about ourselves, that that's going to shift us on the inside. And the truth of the matter is that that feeling of worth and value has to actually originate on the inside for it to take hold within us. Otherwise, it's empty. Everything we're seeking externally needs to be resolved internally first. So we have to do the work around shifting what we believe. And this is where um, I regular listeners know that I have a thing about affirmations because mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that I can shift a belief through an affirmation that I can't mm-hmm. stand in front of the mirror and go, I'm a millionaire. I am a millionaire. Right. I'm a mi-. And right. it doesn't. Right. But in a way, I can I can sort of use affirmations to hit myself. It's like hitting myself in the head with a brick again and again and again about how I'm not a millionaire. And it's ridiculous mm-hmm. and it'll never happen. For, right. And so you're not talking about I don't assume that you're talking about shifting belief kind of at the affirmation level. You're talking about going deep, way, way deep so that that bubbles up to the surface so that then when I stand in front of the mirror and I say I am abundant, I am a radiant in my abundance, that I can believe mm-hmm. that and attract it to me. Exactly. So. You know, and again, you know, so here I am all hay housey and it's very, you know, very controversial in my like not my not buying into, you know, affirmation and affirmations and manifesting <laughs> yeah. because I and I'm and I'm and I'm all for affirmations and manifesting. But the piece that seems to be missing for most people and and with that is the is the is action. So that's really that's my jam. Like, that's what I'm on about. I'm on about action. So, you know, our desire has to line up with taking action. There's, there's some great saying, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like, um, pray with, pray while moving your feet. And that's, that's more of the way that I, that I engage with affirmation and even manifestation the universe i do believe the universe will support us but we actually have to make the first move we have to have clarity of vision clarity of intention and we have to actually take action in that direction in order to be met and supported we have to send a strong clear message by 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 making movement you share in the book, and this is one of the ways in which this book is wonderfully uncomfortable, right? Uncomfortable in a good way. <laughs> I love you, that. Wonderfully you, uncomfortable. <laughs> you share this. You share this list of excuses yeah. that you've heard from clients and that people have come up with. That thing—it's the excuses that keep us in 
inaction. Yeah. I can't because what are some of the common excuses and how can we maybe shift those to get something moving? You know, it's, it's so great that you bring this up because the excuse piece is so big for so many that it's like second nature. We don't even realize the way in which we're making excuses. And for so many of us, we're saying, I can't, when the truth of the matter is that I won't. And we have choice and we forget that we don't have, we forget that we have choice. We start getting in the victim disempowered mindset that we that we don't have a choice. And then we spiral from the excuses into all of these sort of like the what ifs. And, you know, the excuses can range from anything. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. You know, I'll never, I'll never be able to have a job that I love. So why bother? What if I, what if I put all my money into this new business and it fails and I end up homeless like a bag lady? I mean, we start going into these extremes that are likely not even going to happen, but we still allow them to hold us back. And these are really the excuses. There's, there's this sort of a, there's this sort of combo platter of our beliefs and our excuses and our underlying commitments, which I'll share about in a moment, that really are the seeds of sabotage that hold us back. And especially when we're looking at beliefs and excuses, because, you know, we relate to our beliefs as if they're fact. But a belief is just a long-held idea of how the world works and our role within it. So we have to be, we have to be willing to go in there and start peeling apart fact versus fiction, because what's causing us suffering is the story that we're wrapping around the truth. The, what we believe is what we're wrapping around the truth of what actually is. And that's what starts causing us suffering. And that gets compounded by our, our, our excuses, which are really just well-packaged resistance. Our excuses are the rationalization and justification for doing or not doing something. And all of this is designed to keep us super stuck. But here is the great news. <laughs> I personally think that the key, sort of the gem of this of all of this work here begins with this concept of underlying commitments. Because whenever there is a discrepancy between what we say we want and what we're actually experiencing, there is an old, outdated underlying commitment in the mix. So here's the thing. I truly believe we are completely capable of creating everything that we are most committed to. The problem is most of us have no idea what we're most committed to because we think we're committed to the thing that we say we want. Mm -hmm. So we may say, I want, I want, you know, an, a global online 
business platform. I want to travel the world. I want to speak to millions of people. And, you know, I want to change millions of lives. So we can have that kind of big goal and dream and desire. And then the reason it's not actually happening roots all the way back to an underlying commitment, a coping mechanism, a survival strategy created, again, under the age of 10, quite likely, to stay safe and feel loved. So we can trace something like that all the way back to, I'll stay quiet in order to feel safe. I won't rock the boat in order to feel loved. I'll stay small in order to feel loved. I won't shine brighter than my mother or father in order to feel safe. I'll stay invisible in order to stay safe. We can start seeing what these commitments we made, these survival strategies, and how they are the precise seeds of the sabotage we're experiencing now in present day. So it's not always about, you know, discipline. It's not always about willpower. It's not always about the ways in which we go after something and get after something. Until we actually see what commitment we're serving, we're not ever going to actually achieve what it is we say we most desire because we have to get that commitment lined up. And this is where self examination, compassionate, generous self examination mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. self care and intuition come in, but to come in, they have to be invited, especially if we've created a kind of a, a hostile environment for self care or for intuition or for self examination. And this is about inviting them in now so that we can start to kind of get beneath the level of the excuse and get right right down underneath to the place where things are bubbling up, whether we like them or not, they're bubbling up. That's right. And that's the thing is that, you know, if we're willing to live an examined life, which I imagine everyone listening is, then we also have to move into a place around acceptance of what is, what is here and be with, be with what is in order to get to where we want to be. I mean, we're all in this process of growth and evolution. And to me, it begins with first seeing in an honest, open way where we are so that we can move from this place with our eyes open. Mm. And that moving forward with our eyes open can still be wonderfully uncomfortable, but it's a whole different way of being in the world, isn't it? It is because, you know, this is, I mean, to me, this is sort of the, this is the crux of it is that when our eyes are open, we are from that place able to make conscious choice. So what I was saying before around the ways that we go into avoidance and we you know, we're walking to the fridge and we're going to get the cookies or whatever, or we're, you know, buying, we're shopping online and buying the shoes when instead we, you know, we want to be saving for a house and we find ourselves doing these things that undermine what it is we say we want. 
So again, that's where that underlying commitment comes in. Once our eyes are open, we can at least come into the conscious awareness of I have choice here. We're not doing it from that place of being half asleep, or we're not doing it from that place of just going through the motions on autopilot. And, you know, like I was saying before, we're, we're here to evolve. I mean, the soul's goal is to be whole. You know, we are moving into wholeness. And to me, the only way that any sort of transformation can happen is by making conscious choices. So I'm sure you can agree with me that where you are, where I am, where everyone listening is today is the culmination of every choice we've made, every action we've taken, every decision we've made up until now. Mm-hmm. And so it just goes to show that if we don't make a different choice in the present moment, our future will arrive looking like our past. And it's up to us in this present moment to make new choices, to make present moment choices, that's what predicts our future. That's the crystal ball that we're all looking for. What's my future going to (laughs) be? Well, you know, and, and so what we want to do is we want to start being able to align the vision we have as crystal clear and specific as we're able to make it the vision that we have for ourselves, what we really want to live into clear out the beliefs, clear out the excuses, clear out the underlying commitments so that there's a clear channel so that everything is working together and everything's working in alignment so that we can make choices that serve the vision instead of sabotaging the vision. Because every single choice we make does one or the other. Every choice either serves the vision or sabotages it. And we have to have our, I was just going to say, we have to have our eyes open enough to know the difference. Well, and because the, we may, it's, it is a series of choices. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but yes, I am sitting where I am as a result of all the choices that I made, the things I did and did not do, the things I said yes to and the things I said no to. And because it's a, it's kind of a cascading, did you ever go to one of those restaurants? Is it like sushi where the little boat comes around and you can let the boat pass or you can take the thing (laughs) off your plate, right? There's kind of just like this endless, there's all these choices coming up. And so we're allowed to make one and then make another one or not make another Mm -hmm. one. And I think sometimes at least in, in my practice, the people I work with, sometimes where we get stuck is that thought that if I make a choice, it has to be perfect. It has to be the right choice. I have to know that it's the right choice. I need to know all the ramifications of this 30 minutes, you know, 30 years into the future. Um, and it doesn't work like that. Make a choice. And based on that choice, make another one. We can rebuild that foundation if we don't like the one we've got. Exactly. And that's the thing. We the beauty of our lives is that we actually can course correct. Mm. And so many of us stay stuck straddling the fence because we're so afraid of making the wrong choice. And I actually feel that when we're living in alignment with our truth and we're really owning our own power and our worth, there's no wrong choice. There's no wrong way to live our life. We may just decide 
that, okay, I'm taking some steps in this direction. Oh, now I need to course correct and go over here. But it's, it's the movement that's going to mobilize possibility in our lives. Staying stuck keeps us where we've always been. And especially around money, there can be a reluctance to make choices because based on whatever programming we bring in with this, if you make a mistake with money, then that's devastating, right? And we can see in the numbers, right? Did I do yeah. it, quote, right, or do it not right? And so that's, gosh, there could be paralysis around that. Absolutely. And, you know, I I experienced that, you know, I experienced that as well. I talk about it in the book, too, that I, you know, at one point I did invest in the stock market and it freaked the hell out of me because I didn't understand it and I didn't want to turn my power over to someone else. And I quickly yanked all the money out before it had any time to do anything because mm. I, I didn't understand it and I didn't like it. I felt uncomfortable. And then I actually went into this whole period of, especially after my divorce and having to pay such a significant amount, I went into this hoarding phase of just, you know, keeping everything like basically under my mattress, (laughs) you know, and it wasn't until I reached out to a financial advisor and I'll be the first one to say, I thought, I thought you had to have millions of dollars to have a financial advisor. I didn't realize that you could just you know, have how much ever money you have and get advice around it. And that, you know, she basically was the one who got me to understand that. And I love this line of hers, you know, hoarding all that money is like planting frozen vegetables, expecting them to grow. (laughs) And so she helped me work with doing with my money, what felt good for me, which ultimately resulted in paying off the mortgage on the condo I own, which, you know, would, which I never in a million years thought I would ever do. But to me, that was an investment that made sense to me and I could understand it. There's so much more to this. And I know there's way more here than we've got time for. Can you share with the listeners? (laughs) I know, but that's so good. There's so much. (laughs) So good. Um, can you share share your website and let the listeners know one of the Absolutely. one of the really cool things that you do is you regularly offer calls, free calls for people to connect with you and your work. Can you share about your website and what they'll see when they go there and then what the URL is for those calls? Of course. So my website is nancylevin.com and there's all sorts of goodies there. I encourage you to sign up for my mailing list, you'll receive my free uh, weekly newsletter, as well as an invitation to do my masterclass called Live Your Truth. And there's a process that I will take you through in that masterclass that will begin having you uncover some of these layers that we started talking about around blinders, blinders being on. And then I do offer free group coaching calls. So you can sign up directly for those at nancylevin.com slash free. So nancylevin.com slash free, free 90 minute live interactive coaching calls with me. And so that link for signing up for the free group coaching calls is at nancylevin.com slash free. And there are a lot of other free resources there as well. Now, Nancy, with just a few minutes left for us, we've got about five minutes until we're at the end. What do you think 
Mm. What is the most important thing that you'd like to leave the listeners with? What do you most want people to take away from this conversation? Two things. (laughs) One is the piece that I was just naming around choice. Really, really understanding that if we want our lives to be different, we simply have to make different choices. I'm not saying that that's easy, but I'm, I'm, wanting, I'm wanting there to be recognition of a clear connection between the choices that we make and the life that we live into. The other really important piece, and there's an entire step devoted to this in Worthy, is around naming and claiming our desires. I think for so many of us who are dealing with self-worth issues and the ways in which we often overcompensate for feeling the lack of worthiness, we overcompensate with the people-pleasing and the seeking external validation, the seeking approval, the busting our, you know, busting ourselves to earn and prove our worth we get to a place where we don't believe that our wants and needs and desires are even relevant, let alone we may not even be able to connect with them. Mm. And so I also think that a big, a big pillar of this work around, around standing in our own self-worth and net worth is around being able to name and claim what it is that we desire. What are our non-negotiables? What are our priorities? What are the ways in which we want to bring more of that juiciness, yumminess, fullness into our lives? And then what is it that we are aiming to feel in the fulfillment of those desires? Because I'm always going to bring it back to this you know, we're not chasing the thing. We might think we're chasing the thing. We're actually chasing the feeling that we think the thing will bring. That's so powerful. And and I know sometimes it can get complicated because we feel that the desire itself is the thing that we are most not allowed to have. Yeah. And so to look at that with with ease and with grace and with gentleness, with the wonderfully uncomfortable, clear sight that we can bring to that can really be tremendously transforming. Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my, it is my great pleasure. Thank mm-hmm. you. That is Nancy Levin and her new book is Worthy. Boost your self-worth and grow your net worth. You can find out more about Nancy and her work at nancylevin.com. Now, when you go to that site, there are free resources for you. There's videos to watch. There's all kinds of stuff on that site. And if you're interested in one of the monthly group coaching calls, go ahead and click on nancylevin.com slash free to get that information. And of course, Karen, Hager.com is where you can connect with me. There's all kinds of classes and events, all kinds of always good stuff going on at KarenHager.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.